Hi, this is Pastor Andrew here at Oak Ridge Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can check us out online at www.orbcnet.com. Better yet, come by and visit us at the corner of Wurzbach and Vance Jackson in northwest San Antonio. Let us please stand as we read the, today's scripture. We'll be reading in uh, John chapter 21, 1 through 19. And his word says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel, Cana, and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. And two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, <clears throat> Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered to him, No. He said to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul in <clears throat> because of the quantity of fish. That disciple who Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out, of, got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on, on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This time, Miss Sharon is going to take all of our little kids out to Children's Church. If you guys would go with Miss Sharon. Everyone else, y'all be seated. 
Dear Lord, God, I ask that you would be with me this morning as I preach your word to your people. God, as I have done so many Sundays before, I, I come with holy things in my hands, and I am unfit. But you, O oh Lord, can make me fit to handle that which is sacred. And in the same way, the people in this room are a people of unclean lips who come, from a peop- come among a world filled with uncleanliness. And yet, if you will speak only the word, all of us will be healed. And so we pray this morning that you would transform us, that you would change us, that you would consecrate us this morning to worship you through our minds. And that our minds would inform our hearts and that we would be changed. And Lord, we ask these things in the strong name of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, we have come in our study of John to what is, for me, um, my favorite passage, I think, in the book of John, and if not the entirety of the Bible. It is the story um, of Jesus revealing himself one last time to his followers. But before we do that, I, I want to share a little bit about my own journey. Um, and I think it applies here. My, my journey into being a pastor was kind of a long and winding one. Um, and I know that while you guys will sit here for an hour and listen to me, I'm not going to take that long. Suffice it to say that I, I spent a large part of my 30s being clearly told by God that I should go into ministry and actively working against it in one way or the other. And, and I, I can remember the moment I, I had been spending time at my, uh, at my church. I had went to a big, rich, beautiful church in Sugarland, Texas, filled with lovely people who I was friends with. I had a very comfortable life there. Um, I had a good job, and things were actually going really, really well for me. And I, I, I kind of treated ministry and preaching as a, as a hobby, as kind of like a side gig that I did on, you know, just to make a little extra money and, and to, to, to kind of indulge a, uh, like a hobby, if you will. Um, and, and then in the midst of this hobby... Uh, it, it, it became kind of real because one of the churches that I had, and what I would do is I would go uh, around the Houston area and I would drive out, out of Houston, like 45 minutes outside of the city limits, way out in the country. And I would draw a circle, 45 minutes outside of Houston, all the way around, which is a big circle. And I'd preach at these little bitty, teeny, tiny churches. Okay, anybody here know where New Caney, Texas is? And nobody know where New Caney, Texas is. New Caney, Texas is way out there. Now, I want you to know, I didn't preach at First Baptist New Caney or Second Baptist New Caney or Community Baptist New Caney or Brotherhood Baptist New Caney. I don't even remember the name of the church that I preached at in New Caney. It was a double-wide trailer with five people in it way out in the woods. Those are the kind of places that I preached at. 
And one of the places that I went to kind of over and over again, one of the places that was kind of a staple for me was a little church called First Baptist Church of Orchard. Does anybody here know where Orchard, Texas is? Other than you, Andy. That's another little one. Orchard is pretty much a big trailer park or a teeny tiny town. It's got, it doesn't even have a stoplight. It's got a blinking yellow light next to a rundown gas station. And the church out there was this beautiful little white, what you would think of a little country Baptist church. And I would go out there and there'd be five or six people, five or six faithful people in the pews listening to me preach. And every time I left that place, I was like, I was like, wow, I'm really glad that they let me come and preach. I am so glad that I don't have to stay here. I do not want to preach at this church. The youngest person is 60 years old. Like, this is not, like, uh, there's no place for my kids. There's nothing, there's nothing for me out here. There's not even a good restaurant to go to. And so one, one day, they, they, I got a call from Joe Shupak, their, their one and only deacon. And he said, hey, hey Andrew, we were, we were, uh, we're in the process of searching for a pastor, and we'd be, we think that you would be a good fit would you be interested in, in coming out here and serving as our pastor? And I said, no. As a matter of fact, I don't. No, I said it nicer than that. I was like, um, well, I'll, put, I'll, I'll let the Lord, I'll, I'll pray about that, brother. As we say sometimes when we want, don't want to say no, but we want to say no in like a nice way. Like, I'll pray about that. Um, I did not pray about it. I straight up knew what I was going to say. I told him, uh, no. See, I thought that I, I was, that, that I had the capacity for something better. Honestly, if I'm honest with you, 10 years in the past, I can tell you, I thought that, that, that I, 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 could, I could preach at a, at a bigger church, that, that, my, that my talents, that my charm, that my, you know, come on. I didn't have a beard back then, but y'all know was going to be wasted out there. And I told God, no. And when I told God, no, my life became a lot different. This really good life that I had built for myself began to slowly, slowly, not, if not fall apart, just become miserable. Until one night, I woke up late, late at night, and I realized that I hadn't heard God in months, that I didn't have a relationship with him anymore, that I didn't have a, an intimacy. I realized that, and I, and I traced it back to that moment that I told him no. And I just had this overwhelming sense of loss. Like I had had my opportunity and I had been too proud to take it. And that was, that was pretty discouraging. Uh, we come to our gospel this morning with, Paul, with Peter in the midst of a moment like that. Now, Jesus has risen from the grave, right? Jesus has appeared to all of his disciples, proving that he is who he says he was. And the disciples have kind of They've received this commission from him, and yet there is still unfinished business. There's unfinished business between Peter and Jesus. 
but Peter doesn't really know it. From Peter's perspective, he had his shot, he messed it up, and now he's going to have to go on with the rest of his life. And so he does what all of us do when we don't know what to do. When you don't know what to do, you do what you know. And Peter knows how to fish. And so our passage this morning finds Peter and seven of his friends out on the lake doing what he knows how to do. We read that after Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, he revealed himself again this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Robert tells me that every single Sunday morning, right before service. He says, hey, pastor, you want to go fishing? I'm like, Robert, we got service. He said, I know, we can just go. Mike can preach the sermon. It'll be okay. We won't even tell him. They've all gone back to Canaan of Galilee. Now, why do they go back to Canaan of Galilee? Well, Jesus appeared to them twice. We know from the book of Acts that in a couple more weeks, he's going to appear again for the ascension. But right now, Peter doesn't know what to do. He knows that when Christ, when Christ rose from the grave, he talked to Mary Magdalene and said, I will appear to them in Canaan of Galilee. So he's like, okay, let's go home. He hasn't been home in quite some time. And so he takes six of the disciples with him. The guys that really came from Canaan of Galilee. These are the, the men that were there at the beginning when Jesus called Peter. These are guys that we have all met throughout the course of the book of John. It's interesting that Thomas called the twin is included in this. We don't really know if he was from Galilee or, or not, but maybe he just went back with Peter because he wanted to go fishing. We don't know. What we do know is they went back to Cana, and Peter, Peter invited him out for, for a nighttime fishing trip. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat. But you see, Peter's gotten rusty. It's been three years since he's been out on the water fishing. And they didn't catch anything. Now, if this sounds like another story, if you're like, man, this sounds really, really familiar, that's because it is very, very familiar to the way that Jesus met them the first time. If we look in the Gospel of Matthew, we see this exact same thing playing out. Peter with a group of fishermen out on the lake, and they've had a bad night. So this isn't necessarily abnormal for Peter. Maybe he wasn't a great fisherman to begin with. Maybe he's just having bad luck. Whatever's happening, they're out there on the lake, <clears throat> and something odd happens. They see a man, and this guy says, Lads, do you have any fish? Now that in and of itself is not a weird thing. If you've ever gone fishing before, you know that that is kind of the standard interaction that you have with people that you come across. How's the fishing? Is it good? Have you caught anything? It's an invitation for you to lie and tell them about all the amazing fish that you almost caught, right? It's, the, it's also an invitation for Robert to tell you the story about how I threw my fishing rod away. It's great. Like, it's all kinds of stuff. 
So having somebody ask you how the fishing is going is not abnormal. Nor is what happens next. They tell them, no, we, didn't, we haven't caught anything. It's been a bad night. And what happens invariably when you tell somebody that you haven't been successful at fishing, no matter who they are, they give you unsolicited advice. Well, have you, have you, tried, uh, have you tried super bait? Have you, have you tried stink bait? You know, I, I, like, uh, I like top water lures or, or I like a popping cork with croaker. I'm just making words up. I have no idea what I'm saying, by the way. I'm just like thinking about things that I've seen as I go through academy. Like, uh, stay like, like I know what stink bait is, okay? I have a fishing rod that my brother-in-laws gave me that is, so, that is far above my station, okay? I, I'm, I'm more of the SpongeBob push-button, like, fishing rod. That's what I have. That's what, that's what I should be using, okay? So this random dude on the, on the shoreline is just yelling at him, random piece of advice, have you tried putting the net down on the other side of the boat? Like, sure, buddy. Yeah, we didn't even think about that. That's going to make the difference. We'll let it down on the right side of the boat because that's where all the fish are. But they do it. They humor the weirdo guy on the shore. They take their nets like, okay, we'll put it down on the other side. Maybe he sees something we don't see. And when they start pulling the net up, it's full. Now, at this moment, something clicks for them. At this moment, they begin to remember. They remember three years ago when this exact same thing happened, when they were desperate for a catch of fish and a random guy on the beach told them to put the nets down on the other side, and they did, and they couldn't pull the fish in. And John, who is writing the gospel and is also the most perceptive of them, looks up, and says, it's the Lord. Right? And so John is the thoughtful one. And Simon Peter, Simon Peter is the action-oriented one. And so as soon as John says, it's the Lord, Simon Peter says, it's the Lord. And then he does a weird thing. He puts his bathroom. Now, we don't really know what, he's, what they mean by this. But apparently, Simon Peter was swimming, was fishing either nude, which we're not going to do, Robert. Okay. More probably he had like some like the ancient Palestinian equivalent of skivvy shorts on, like his tidy whities on because it's hot, and he's out there and he's fishing. He's like, ah, I can't go see the Lord in my underwear. So he puts on his outer garment and he jumps in the water, which is dumb because that's going to make you sink. Okay. So he jumps in the water and just starts swimming to the shore. He doesn't even care. He leaves everybody behind to bring the boats in. he gets into the shore and we don't know exactly what happens because John is the one telling the story he doesn't know what Peter told Jesus or what Jesus told Peter all he knows is that they're left on the boat trying to haul the fish in and get the boat to shore and so they finally muscle the boats 100 they said it's about 100 yards offshore so they got to get that boat they get it bring it back in they kind of drag it they're like Peter what are you doing Peter's like oh okay so he runs back over jumps in the boat and Peter's apparently kind of a stout dude Peter like kind of pulls all the fish into the boat. And what happens next? Well, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. 
He's prepared a charcoal fire for them. And so in this, this most normal of ways, this man who has washed their feet, this man who has prayed for them and died for them, he now he fixes them a fisherman's breakfast. And he sits down with them to break bread. And, and, they, and, and nobody, nobody asks him who you are. Because they all know who he is. They all know who he is. And they don't want him to disappear. Once again, Jesus is establishing the physical nature of his resurrection by doing something normal. He's just sitting down, sitting down and having a meal with his friends. But it's interesting for us to understand that the last event in the earthly ministry of Jesus was an intimate meal between friends. He comes into this, this time that is mundane, that is normal, and he takes that which is normal and mundane and he makes it holy. He transforms it. Because the presence of Christ takes that which is mundane and makes it holy. There, there is a power. There's a great power in small, normal things. Sometimes we, we, as church people, we think that we've got to gild the lily, that we've got to make things better and fancier and nicer than they need to be. I, I have this tendency in my home. I'm a complicated person. I like stuff complicated. My friends make fun of me. My wife makes fun of me because of the way that I cook because I use every pan that we have. I like single-use items. Yeah, you know what I mean. The avocado cutter, right? You have an apple cutter. You have a mango cutter. They're different tools. I like the right tool for the right job, the right pot for the right task. And so my meals become complicated. They're good, but they're complicated. Sometimes I think as church people, we think that we have to do that. We think, well, in order to make this good, we got to make it more complicated. We have to make it more special. But the reality in the kingdom of God is that God comes in and takes simple things and makes them holy. This is why there is power in sharing a meal. This is why if you think about the, all of the times that you have probably had the best community among fellow Christians, it hasn't been at a potluck at church. It's been sitting in the living room with two or three families sharing a meal together. Because God comes into mundane places and he makes them holy. There's power in intimacy. And so I want to encourage you guys, Just I want to take a minute just to encourage you guys to seek out those opportunities in this body of Christ to have simple moments that God can come in and make holy. Do not let the need for something to be perfect limit your willingness to do something. So, so often I'll, I'll encourage some of the ladies to, to practice the, the, the spiritual discipline of hospitality and they'll say, oh, well, my house isn't clean doesn't matter if your house is clean. You're not fooling anybody. Everybody knows how you live. At my house right now, there is a pile of laundry on our dining room table. 
If my wife was here, she would kill me. But that pile of laundry on the dining room table should not limit our ability to gather together and to have community with each other. The most important thing is not how fancy it is. It's the depth of the intimacy that is there. It's the obedience that we show. That, that was one of the things that they kept hitting over and over again at that, at that discipleship, uh, at the evangelism thing that me and Wes went to yesterday. They said that the most important number, they were like, what's the most important number up here? And we were like, well, it's the three people that came to Jesus. And that's awesome, right? There's three people that were dead in sin that are now alive. One of the ladies went back yesterday and baptized somebody in the apartment pool. Yeah. That's intense. They were like, that's not the most important number here. The most important number here is the 97 door knocks. And I'm going to tell you, Wes was more successful than me. Like, I, I've, been, I've been through seminary for nine years. I've been in ministry for 10 years. And you know what I got a lot of? I got a lot of empty doors. And I got a lot of people that were like, I was like, hey, can I pray with you? Nope. Slammed the door in your face. Towards the end, I was just like, run. I was like, oh, I'm going to knock on the next one. Oh, now they're not home. I'll knock on the next one. Oh, they're not interested. I'm going to knock on the next one. I was like, I went from being like really, really nervous to being like, come on, something. <laughs> Wes is over there like resurrecting somebody's car. That's a real thing. <laughs> but it's about obedience. It's about obedience. It doesn't have to be a perfect dinner party. It doesn't have to be a perfect Bible study. It doesn't have to be a, a perfect function. It just has to be something done in obedience. So what does Jesus use this, this amazing moment of intimacy to do? He comes back to these guys. He has this moment with them. And you know what he uses that time to do? He doesn't give them one last bit of teaching. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't tell them the secrets of revelation and, and when the, who the beast is going to be and what black helicopters look like. He doesn't do any of that. You know what he does? He restores relationships. He uses it to fix the broken relationship that he has with Peter. As these guys are enjoying this hearty fisherman's breakfast, Jesus has a kind of a hard and pointed conversation with Peter. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, that, that's a weird question to ask without context. So he's saying, like, do you love me more than the fishing boats? Do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me? Like, what do you love me more than? Here's what he's asking. He's saying, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than the other disciples? Now, why is he asking that bizarre question? Well, I think it's because Peter has never yet missed an opportunity to boast about how awesome he is. That's Peter's thing. Peter's mouth writes checks that his body cannot cash. Oh, Jesus, I'm gonna, if everybody else leaves you, I'm going to die with you. Jesus tells him, oh, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem. Oh, no, Jesus, no, you're not. Don't let it be. Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity. It's almost kind of a trap. He's giving him the opportunity to begin to boast again. 
And so how does Peter respond? Well, Peter has begun to develop a little bit of maturity. He doesn't say, yes, Jesus, I'm your ace number one sidekick. I love you more than anybody else. I'm a rock star and you're awesome. He doesn't say any of those things. You know what he says? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He turns it back to Jesus. He's like, look, you you know all things. You know that I love you. Fair enough, Peter. Lead my my heavenly army in battle against the Romans. Is that what he says? He say, I need you to go kill all the infidels with that rusty sword that you've got. That's awesome. No. He says, feed my lambs. Peter knows what that means. Jesus is the shepherd. He wants him to feed his sheep. Awesome. Things are looking up for Peter. But then Jesus kind of throws a wrench in this because Jesus doesn't leave it there. He asks him again. He looks him in the eyes and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter kind of gives Jesus that look. Like, you know those guys that whenever they have a point that they want to make and so they ask you the same question over and over again. And you're like, "Uh, I I guess? Like, what, what are you asking me? Are wheels round? Uh, yeah. No. I, I don't, I don't, what, do you, what do you want to know from me? So Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. Now, there are countless books that have been written on how you interpret the different words here. Okay, and there's all kind of different ways that you can you can try to examine uh, what what's the difference between sheep and lambs, and does he use a different word for love? And and there's all kind of cool scenarios here. That's not the point of this. The linguistic differences are not the issue here. The issue is that Jesus keeps asking Peter over and over and over again the same question. And when he does, he has the same response. And so Jesus asks him one last time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Three times he asks. And at this point, Peter understands what's going on. See, Peter rejected Christ three times. What is Jesus telling Simon Peter? He said, talk is cheap, Peter. You have made all kinds of claims before. You have told me over and over again all these things. And guess what? When the rubber met the road, you failed. And if I'm going to entrust my sheep to you, I need to know you're going to actually follow through. And so what does Simon Peter say? Peter was grieved. Because he said it to him a third time. He's brokenhearted. He's grieved to his heart. Because he knows what Jesus is saying. He understands the criticism that's implicit. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. Peter's not speaking from his pride. 
He's peeking from his soul right now. He's not a warrior clashing his sword and his shield to work himself up into a false frenzy. He is a man who has declared long before anyone else that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. And he looks into Jesus' eyes and he declares, you know all things. Test my soul. Know me. You know that I love you. For once, Peter is not blowing smoke. For once, Peter is not boasting. He's speaking truth. And Jesus responds, feed my lambs. Much later in his life, we see that Peter took this to heart that this became the defining aspect of Peter's ministry, that Peter saw himself not as the leader of the early church or as the first pope or the bishop of bishops. He saw himself as a shepherd. You know how we know this? Because when he wrote a letter to pastors that he had raised up, this is the advice that he gave them. I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, but being an example for the flock. See, Peter has learned the lesson that leadership in the kingdom is about humble, faithful service. It's not about being famous or powerful. It's about taking up the staff of Christ as an under-shepherd. Christ is asking him if he can trust him with the job. And Peter says that he can. And so Jesus restores his broken relationship with Peter and commissions him for a life of humble service. I was not humble when I sought to be a minister. I thought that I was better than I was. There was a, there was a point in my ministry when when the pastor of the church that I was at, he asked me if I would, I said, I, I, I want to be mentored. I, I want to be a pastor. And he said, okay, I need you to start preaching at nursing homes. And I was like, oh, I don't really have time for that. See, not, not only was I too good to preach out in the country, I was, I was too busy, to, too good to preach in nursing homes. And so I, I didn't get mentored. And I chalked it up to, well, it's all politics. I go to the wrong seminary. No, he saw who I was. I was an arrogant young man who thought that I was better than I was. See, the call to ministry is a call to humble service, and it begins by humbly serving the church and feeding the lambs. I have guys come to me. And they asked me the question, like, well, how do I, how do I get into ministry? What, what, do, what do I need to do? I, I feel like I'm called. And I'm like, okay, you're called to ministry? That's awesome. You need to teach a Sunday school class. Well, no, no, but I'm called to ministry. Yeah, yeah, I know. Teach a Sunday school class. Faithfully teach God's people. 
Be faithful in small things, and then you will be able to be faithful in larger things. Feed God's sheep. You want, you want to go deeper in your relationship with Christ? Some of you guys come up to me like, well, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. Awesome. Feed a sheep. That's the pathway to depth. Humble service in the kingdom of God. It's not about learning more stuff. I got a library in my office full of stuff that you can go read. That's not ministry. Ministry isn't arguing over minutia. It's not finding new things to get mad about. Ministry is about caring for God's sheep. It's that and nothing more. And if you don't have the humility to feed God's sheep, then there's something broken. And that has to get fixed. But Jesus isn't done quite yet. See, He's reinstated Peter to his ministry, but now he begins to speak to Peter about what his life will look like as an apostle. And in this, in this kind of odd thing, he makes one final amen, amen statement. You remember Jesus made all these truly, truly statements. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the bread of life. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the living water. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the light of the world. What's his last truly, truly statement that he makes? Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And John's very clear. He said this to show what kind of death he would have to glorify God. He is telling Peter, truly, truly, I tell you, they're going to crucify you. Not in a symbolic way. Not in a, well, I'm taking up my cross because I can't find my parking space at the H-E-B kind of way. But in a, they're going to nail your hands to a cross piece and hang you up till you suffocate kind of way. He's telling Peter, you want to follow me? You want to feed my sheep? I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. You are going to be martyred for the faith. Are you prepared for that? You said you wanted to die with me? Guess what? You're going to die just like me. And he offers this one last call. He said, follow me. This probably has special poignancy for John writing this after Peter was crucified in Rome during the persecution of Nero. Jesus tells him exactly what's going to happen. And despite this dire prediction, Peter accepts the offer. Knowing that Christ speaks the truth, he follows Jesus. See, one of the ways that we know that the gospel is true is that we can see in the actions of the apostles the power of the resurrection. This same Peter who denied Christ three times under the pressure of an interrogation by a serving girl. Right? Remember that. He wasn't interrogated by the Sanhedrin. The cops didn't ask him. It was some waitress. Comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you with the disciples? No, it's not me. 
This same guy is going to go into the Sanhedrin and he's going to declare the resurrected Christ to the people that killed him. And then this same guy who ran away as Christ was flogged is going to stand in the same place that Christ was flogged, take the same beating that Christ took, and he's going to leave praising God. He will look death in the face and say to the Jews and then to the Romans, do what you think is right. But I will not stop proclaiming the name of my Savior. See, at long last, Simon the fisherman has earned his name, Peter the Rock. And so Jesus has prepared Peter for his ministry by prophetically preparing him for the opposition and death that he's going to face. Jesus uses his final moment with his disciples to restore broken relationships and prepare them for the future. Christ's final ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. He'd already reconciled mankind to the Father, but now he's reconciling the disciples to himself. He was reminding them of something that Paul would write much later in his ministry, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. When we fail him, and we do fail him over and over and over again, the offer to serve him is still there. There is no hole that you can go crawl in that is so deep that God can't use you. And I know some of you in this room this morning have told God no the way that I told God no. God's come to you and say, I need you to do this. And you're like, oh, I don't have time. This isn't the right place. I don't have the skill set. And you think right now, well, I'm useless in the kingdom because I told God no. But I'm going to tell you right now, Christ is in the reconciliation business. It's what he does. He took this broken broken tool and used him to change the world. Later on, he's going to call a terrorist named Paul. He's going to bring him in. and He's going to be the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. And you know what he did with me? As I lay in bed crying because I told God no, he took, he took my offer. I told God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I will do whatever you tell me to do. Just start talking to me again. Two weeks later, I got a phone call from Orchard. They were like, hey, we're still looking for a pastor. You, what do you think? I was like, okay, I'll do it. I served at that church for five years. I saw God move in incredible ways there. And I, I felt like, I felt like that was the place that I was going to die, that I was going to feed God's lambs out in the country for the rest of my life. And then I got a call to this church. And I went to the, I went to the meeting, and there were, some of the guys are, are still in the room here that were there with me. And they said, well, what do you think? And I went into that meeting thinking that I was not going to come here because my life was good in, in Sugarland. And by the time I was done with the meeting, it was very clear to me that God was calling me here. And they were like, well, what do you think? And I was like, well, I've been railroaded by God before. And I'm not going to tell him no. That doesn't mean that things are easy. When we say yes to God, it doesn't mean that things are easy. 
But it does mean that we can be part of what he's calling us to. When we come into the presence of Christ, he offers reconciliation, purpose, and hope through the invitation to follow him. And each of you is being given an invitation to follow him today. And we can come into his presence in many ways. We come into his presence by reading his word and speaking with him daily. And we come into his presence when we allow him to inject the sacred into the mundane in our family. When we share a meal together, when we, when we drive our families around, when we, when we meet with a stranger for coffee. All of these ways we can invite Christ to take the mundane and make it holy and come and be a presence with us. But know this. When we come into his presence, we do not leave unchanged. When we come into his presence, he brings healing for our broken relationships through healing, through forgiveness and humility. When you come into his presence, he will ask you to do crazy things like forgive people who don't deserve to be forgiven because you don't deserve to be forgiven and yet you have been. When we come into the presence of Christ, he brings purpose for our lives through his mission. He brings us hope knowing that even in the worst situations, persecution, disease, even death, that our Redeemer lives and that we have a place in eternity with him. We come into the presence of Christ and he changes us and invites us to step out with him in obedience. And so I, I want to take a, a, a couple of minutes here. See, when we come into the presence of Christ, and we have been in the presence of Christ this morning, Christ begins to speak with us. God begins to speak to us. He begins to call us out into ministry with him. Every time we encounter God, he gives us an opportunity to join him in obedience. And so everybody here should have a, a study sheet with them. And I want to encourage you to do this. We're going to take two minutes. Mike's going to play some mood music on his guitar. He's got some cool jazz he's going to play for you guys. I don't know. What I want you to do is I want you to ask this question. I want you to write down on your sheet of paper your name, Robert. I want you to know. This is what God is telling you this morning. Now, when we listen to God, God speaks to us. And we know that God is speaking to us because God does not counteract his own scripture. So nobody here, I just want everybody to understand this. Nobody here is going to be told to go rob a bank. Okay? That's not a thing. He's going to speak as a loving father. And he will speak in accordance with his character. I want you to write down what God is speaking to you and then after that I want to answer this I want you to answer this question. I will. What will you do based on what he's told you? Take a couple of minutes. Prayerfully consider that.
opportunity to, to respond to those things that God has called you to. Maybe, maybe God has laid on your heart that you've never actually accepted a relationship with him and you realize you don't know who this Jesus is that we're talking about. If that's you, when we sing our song of invitation, I, I, I want to encourage you to come forward so that we can pray with you and help you understand what that means, what it means to turn away from your old life and accept a new life in him. Maybe God's revealing to you that, that you've never taken the obedient step of baptism. You're watching other people come up and, and declare their new life through baptism, and you never have. I want to encourage you to come forward and talk with one of our deacons about what it takes to be baptized. Maybe you need to join this church, or maybe God's calling you to something different. Maybe he's calling you to enter into ministry someplace. I don't know where God is calling you right now, what he's calling you to do. What I do know is that he is calling out to each of you to follow him. And what you have to decide this morning is if you will. Would you stand and join us as we sing our song of invitation? Thanks for listening to this sermon, part of the teaching ministry at Oak Ridge Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about Oak Ridge, you can go to www.orbcnet.com.